0: A way to do this. Let me show you a better way.
1: Hi folks, this is Shaq Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Wednesday, December 4th, 2013, and this is episode 1259 of the Survival Podcast. I've got an interesting guy I'm about to bring on the air with you. His name is John Pierre. He's the author of a book called The Four Pillars of Health. He's actually a consultant in health and uh diet and functional fitness to celebrities and uh, rock stars and professional athletes, um, recently working uh, with no less than Ellen DeGeneres. So uh, he's in high demand, but yet I've got him here for you on the Survival Podcast. Uh, Like a lot of people in health and nutrition, we don't agree 100% on things, but I think it's important that you get views from all sides and that we actually agree a great deal on the core of things. And we have a great interview with John that we'll have on in just a bit before that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today is Backwoods Home Magazine. Backwoods Home Magazine, for me, is really kind of a special a special company to have as a partner of TSP. You see, I've been reading Backwoods Home Magazine since I got out of the Army in 1993, and I know the names of their authors like Dave Duffy and John Silvera and Jackie Clay and Masada Yu very, very well. These are people I read over and over and over again. And I always thought, wouldn't it be great to get to meet them someday? Not only did I get to meet them, but now I get to work with them. Backwoods Home Magazine is the magazine that you want in your library. You really do. If you want to know everything you can get about self sufficiency and self reliance, uh, kind of like the Mother Earth News, you know, you, you hope it is, but it's not. You know, the libertarian version of that. Uh, with a little bit of guns and things like that tossed into it, then you want Backwoods Home Magazine. Check them out. And remember, they do have a special program for new subscribers. If you are a member of the MSB, check your benefits section. You can find that there. Next up today, Sawtooth Tactical, veteran-owned, veteran-operated in the Sawtooth Wilderness of Idaho. All the stuff you want for that tactical lifestyle, from MagPaul magazines to Maxpedition bags, the awesome titanium spork, And anything in between, you will find it at Sawtooth Tactical, located at sawtooth.com. Sawtooth Tactical also does a discount for members of the Support Brigade, so check out the benefits section of the MSB before you buy from any of our sponsors. Most, not all of them, do have discounts there for you. And I'd like to remind you that while we have about a dozen sponsors, there's over 40 companies that offer discounts. So if you're looking to buy anything from guns to gardening stuff to precious metals, you name it, and you're an MSB member, before you make your decision, check your discount area and see if there's something there that can save you some money. That's part of why you're a member, so you can save some money on things you're going to buy anyway. That's the way I set the program up. Next up, if you haven't joined the Member Support Brigade yet, why not? You should be a member. No, I'm kidding. No, but do consider it. I know money's a little tight this holiday season. I'm going to tell you something today. If you are considering joining the Member Support Brigade, do not join it this week. Do not join it this week. Um, even if you are a member of armed services or a discount that I usually give, a service discount, don't join this week. I'm going to, on Monday, announce a sale on MSB. It's going to be a pretty good one. It's not going to be super dirt cheap or nothing like that, but it's going to be a big discount. Um, a discount that's even better by a few bucks than the service discount. And uh, I'd hold off. I wouldn't join for the rest of this week. Um, and if you're going to renew this week, I mean, who the hell does this? I do, I guess. If your renewal date's this week and you haven't renewed yet, uh it's going to auto-renew, go into PayPal and cancel it and wait till Monday. And, uh, you'll get, unless you have already a discounted automatic renewal. If you have a recurring discount, uh, don't do that because this sale's not going to have that. But, uh, Monday, I'm going to offer a sale on MSB. And I'll even tell you now, the price is going to be 30 bucks a year. And I will have a way for you to pay by, uh, US mail or, or what have you. If you've been a member of the MSB in the past and you've, uh, you've been a, you know, you've signed up, you paid, and you were a member for any length of time, uh, you should be getting an email from me today. And that email is a special thank you for your past support and a deal that's even better. If you have been a member in the past and you, you don't get an email from me today um about a, a discount for people coming back, um email me, put uh let me back in Jack in the subject line. That'll that'll put it in the right folder for me. And I'll I'll make sure that you get that. On that note, if you use Yahoo. Uh, email, it's probably a good idea to whitelist me, however you do that in Yahoo, jackatthesurvivalpodcast.com, if you want emails from me. And on Gmail, I think the best way you can make sure you get emails from me on Gmail is to go into your Gmail account and set up a contact for me. And if, if you have me in your contact book, I think it will kind of whitelist. I don't know if there is a way to whitelist things in Gmail, but my email address again, jack at the survival I get some people upset with me from time to time on customer service that email me and I do respond to them and they think I never have. Yahoo and Gmail are two terrible email services, terrible about discarding emails as spam, not putting them in junk folders. Um, that's one thing. But just out and out, at certain times, just deciding an email is not worthy of your consideration and completely throwing it away. And uh, I've had that happen with Chef Keith Snow on expert counsel stuff where I email him and he just doesn't get it. And I've had where it just bounces and says basically uh, your email bounced as junk. Um, again, and those of you who don't mind getting emails from me in Yahoo and Gmail, if you could do whatever it takes to whitelist me there, I imagine the more people that do that, the less likely I am to be flagged as spam. Uh, I'd appreciate that. Anyway, a little extra information there. Uh, Before I bring John on, let's go ahead and uh, take care of something we skipped yesterday because 1259 is not that interesting of a year. And I forgot to do 1258 yesterday. So in my history segment, I'm going to back up to 1258. I talked about in episode 1257 a massive volcanic eruption and that something was coming that was going to alter history It's not the Little Ice Age. It's almost the Little Ice Age. And and, and some people actually feel it really is sort of, kind of, the beginning of it, but it just takes a long time to play out. Now, I had someone help me out, uh, a guy called Alex with 1258, and here's some notes he sent me on 1258. Worldwide temperatures drop almost 3 degrees Fahrenheit in a single year, known as the year without a summer. Crops will fail, people will starve. The disaster was called by a massive volcanic eruption eight times the size of Krakatoa. The aftermath will drag on until 1262. Uh, next, the Arab super civilization is wiped out forever. The Mongols delivered the death blow on an already, already failing Mongol, Muslim civilization by killing the last Abbasid Kaplath and destroying Baghdad. Not just capturing it, not just subjecting it, destroying it. The grand Muslim super-civilization that people talk about actually ends here. Simon de Montfort forces a constitution on King Henry III. Simon de Montfort, 6th Earl of Leicester, forces King Henry III to accept the Oxford provision, provisions, creating a governing committee with only half of the appointings coming from the king, half from the barons, and two more elected by the committee itself, and with Parliament overseeing the committee. The king will find a way to wiggle out of the Oxford provisions, but Simon de Montfort will become the de facto ruler of England for a short while, sort of like a president. And then uh, Alex says, these are my takes on these events. Uh, the year without a summer lasted for about four years. Temperatures recovered relatively quickly, half of it coming back within a year, but it was still very bad. How does one prepare for four years without a decent crop? Very good point, Alex. FYI, the mini ice age won't be due for another 100 years. Some say it didn't begin until 1250, but it's coming, and it's going to last a long time. Uh, quote. And then I hear, Muslims are a mighty civilization. Whenever someone wants to excuse Muslims of today, nevertheless being civilized doesn't mean you can defend your civilization from those less civilized. There's a lesson in that. Regarding Simon de Montfort, I submit this headline because I hear common refrain of the constitutional convention bandied about. It may not be the fix for every, it may not be the fix everyone thinks it will be. And he left some sources. Uh, I'll include those sources in today's show notes for you. Uh, but if you'd like to help me out with a year in particular, uh, the, the short, direct, concise way that Alex did here, if you have a year you'd like to get out in front of me on, uh, you can send me an email. And, uh, put history for Jack in the, uh, subject line. And, uh, if I, you know, if it works out, I'll use it. And sometimes these are better than what we can get out of Wikipedia. Uh, I want to comment on the year without a summer, which is actually four years without a summer. And I want to, uh, to answer, how would you deal with four years without a decent crop? The answer in many ways would be permaculture. I mean, if you think about it, Uh, A permaculture-style system is far more resilient than a field of wheat or a field of corn or a field of soy. But even if you have your permaculture food forest set up with many perennials and things that actually bring your resiliency up a zone or two, when I talk about USDA zones, so you're in zone 5, but basically you have the resiliency of a zone 6 or 7, that means when you get knocked back, you still have the zone 5 resiliency. If you've done that, and you're able to produce food for yourself through something like this, understand that the rest of the world has not done that yet. And that if we ever have something as simple as a volcano blow its top, in some part of the world that seems so far away, and this happened to us again, a sudden onset climate change like this would result in the deaths of tens, if not hundreds of millions of people. It would result in the destruction of economies throughout the world. This is an event... That no one talks about no one re- they talk about you know the the uh, Yellowstone supervolcano, which is a a catastrophic disaster beyond this, um, not only because it 's right here because it 's so much bigger, and, but the likelihood 's relatively low compared to the likelihood of just a really big volcanic event there 's a volcano for instance, in the Atlantic Ocean off the coast of africa i don 't remember where. But it's a matter of time until this thing blows, and when it does, the top will basically fall off and slide into the ocean. Depending on the size of the eruption, it may or may not seriously alter our climate, drop global temperatures. It may, it may not. I'm not sure. But I do know what will happen when that top of that volcano blows into the Atlantic Ocean. It will create a tsunami larger than the one that hit Indonesia, and guess what it's pointing at? The Atlantic coast of the United States of America. These old disasters, these ancient disasters, were not caused by CO2 emissions or any of the things that we blame for modern climate shift. They were clim- they were caused by the Earth itself, and those days have not gone away. And the year 1257 or 1258 is not that far away, folks. It's not that long ago in the grand history of the world. It's less than one second if the world is represented by a clock of 60 minutes. It's less than one second away. And we have a tendency to forget things like that. So I wanted to bring that to your attention today, and hopefully you're enjoying the history segments. Uh, Now I want to introduce our special guest. His name is John Pierre. He's a nutrition and functional fitness expert with a wide range of clientele, including celebrities, professional athletes, military personnel, and people of all ages and background. John is credited for being one of the first pioneers in the U.S. to create brain-building classes and enhance cognitive fitness in our uh, geriatrics community. Over 25 years of practical in-the-field hands-on experience has provided John with a unique understanding and ability to assist others in cognitive challenges and physical performance. His first published work, The Pillars of Health, discusses four solid principles that provide everyone with a solid foundation for lifelong wellness, and he's here to talk to us about that today and more. And with that, hey, John, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hi,
2: thank you for having
0: me.
1: Hey, man, um, I was just telling you off air, um, you know, after we met in uh, Denver at the Self Reliance Expo, I know you've been working with Steve Harris, um, and he had great things to say about you, and I haven't talked to you since then, but uh, I was really impressed with you, and you are... uh, a nutrition and functional fitness expert. Uh, and, and you always have guests put some questions to me that they want to ask, but I always throw them for a loop in the beginning because I think it's great before we start on the actual subject that uh, the audience knows where you're coming from. And most people that I interview on this show, I almost never find out whether they're training wilderness survival or doing fitness or military stuff or whatever it is. It's never like they were eight years old and said, when I grow up, I want to be a nutritional and fun- functional fitness expert, and usually there's some kind of curvy path that ends a person up to where they're at. So could you just talk a little bit about how you ended up where you are, and kind of where you came to your your line of expertise from? Because I think that that helps the audience connect with a guest well.
2: Well, I've always been interested in helping people and. Actually, my background really is in geriatrics, and one of the reasons I got into geriatrics is because over 20 years ago, I just saw the decline of seniors everywhere, not only mentally and physically. So, uh, my goal was always to just to help people get, you know, better levels of health and fitness and cognitive well-being, and, you know, I've trained in a lot of different modalities and have tons of different certifications and things like that. But you know, basically when I was when I was younger I was, you know, playing sports like everyone else and I was actually an athletic trainer and so I was helping people heal themselves with injuries and I was on the first aid team and, and things like that. So it was just something I've always been doing since I've been a kid. Uh but I think the main goal behind what I really do is to just help people improve the quality of their overall health and fitness. Because no matter what you, what you do in life, if you're healthy and fit you'll you'll enjoy your life more and you'll be better at whatever you do
1: gotcha and um y- you know you're on the survival podcast i found you at a self-reliance expo and i think health and nutrition is something we do talk about quite a bit but overall in the industry it's not something pe- people seem to pay a lot of attention to i mean i've literally heard like pre- so-called preparedness experts say things like well to make sure you have nutritional diversity when you are uh, after the shit hits the fan make sure you store vitamins with all your other stuff and it's like Okay, um, yeah, I think we're missing something there. But could you just talk about, leading off here, why it's important to have good health and physical fitness and and to develop that before you end up in a grid-down situation or a survival situation or just a highly stressed situation? Well, I
2: think most people in the survival movement are investing lots of time in prepping, and they're buying all sorts of neat gadgets and gizmos, but they're not really prepping their body or their mind. And I think the real challenge is, is during a disaster, you know, your level of stress will be dramatically, you know, escalated. Your blood pressure is going to rise. Uh, your thinking processes become unclear and foggy. And you have this cascade of, of hormones that really flood your, your brain and your body. And they're, they're, they compromise your state. So, in other words, once you're in a stressful situation, your health is compromised even more than when you began. And, you know, President John F. Kennedy had an interesting quote. He said, The time to repair the roof is when the sun is shining. So you don't start working on yourself when disaster strikes. And just like you don't train for, you don't just run a marathon without training for it. You have to get prepared for it. And one of the things that I've been trying to help people understand is that, you know, if you're on high blood pressure medication or you have, you know, cardiac abnormalities or or right now you're dealing with obesity or diabetes or you don't handle stress well, well, it's only going to get worse when disaster strikes. It's not going to be any better. So I'm just going to get people to start prepping their body and their mind through good nutrition and good fitness right now before a disaster strikes.
1: Well, I completely agree with that. And one of the things you keep bringing up is basically co- cognitive functionality, how to think and, and being able to think clearly. So, you know, how does taking care of that function right now help us avoid diseases in the future like Alzheimer's? What can we do? To, to to kind of really build up resiliency in that cognitive function as well.
2: Well, right. And, you know, my specialty really is enhancing cognitive functioning in seniors. I was actually one of the first persons in the United States to create brain-building classes with seniors, and that was over 20 years ago. And the truth of the matter is it's probably the scariest disease that I've ever seen, uh, Alzheimer's or any type of dementia, but particularly Alzheimer's. And it's kind of, the analogy would be it's kind of like mold growing in the brain. That it doesn't, it doesn't let up. It just keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And your cognitive decline, you know, you just start cognitively declining and then you start to physically decline. And so one of the things that I've been trying to help people understand that is we're taking better care of our iPhone. We're taking better care of our stamp collection than we are our own brain. And so there's a lot of different you know, modalities that we need to work on. But brain care is one of the most important ones that we need to do every day because once you lose your brain functioning, everything else goes. It's kind of like a computer that runs a ship or runs a plane. Once that goes, that's it.
1: What are some of the things we can do there? Because I know you work with the elderly, but in in dealing with this, I found that a lot of times older people, as they begin to slip, when it's the most important time to start doing this, don't want to accept it, so they won't do it. And by the time they realize how bad it is, they're into a a place where you can't get them to do things like this because they've they've gone past kind of a a point of no return or they just have created their own reality. So are there things that people can do before they have the problem um, as they get older? You know, even in your 50s, you don't want to think about being 50 50-year-old people never want to think about becoming 70, right? Right. So like, but that really is, isn't that really the time to start doing like mental exercise, probably your whole life, but isn't that kind of the time to like gear it up?
2: Yeah, especially, you know, once you start getting into your your 40s, uh, that's when a lot of people's cognitive decline, you know, they start seeing it. And if you just remember that the brain is basically flesh and blood, it's a highly metabolic, you know, tissue. So it, it uses a lot of energy all the time. And in the process, it creates a lot of free radicals and those free radicals are, Think of think of them kind of as bad guys. They're damaging the cellular tissue. And your brain is about 60% fat. So your brain basically has a bullseye on it. It's being attacked all day long from poor diet, stress, pollution. Even exercise creates free radicals. So first of all, you have to have your bloodstream has to be very healthy, your cardiovascular system, because basically your blood is the river of life. And that's where the oxygen and the nutrients are being delivered, you know, 24 hours a day. So you have to have a healthy, strong heart. And you know it that if you exercise your arms or your legs, they get stronger and more efficient. It's the same thing with your cardiovascular system. When you're doing some sort of aerobic activity, it could be gardening, it could be dancing, it could be running, jogging, whatever you want, your heart's getting stronger. It's getting what we call a better stroke volume. So it will pump more blood efficiently throughout the body. And that's critical. That's one of the most important things to keep that cardiovascular muscle healthy and to keep those arteries vasodilated, to keep them open up. That's how, actually, if you think about when, when, when somebody takes Viagra, I mean, they, basically what's happening is Viagra is a, is a vasodilator. It's opening up blood flow. And it's the same thing with exercise. Exercise or movement creates this vasodilation so the blood flow increases throughout the body.
1: So, Correct, number one, we wrong, work but on r- our heart. Real quick on the on the Viagra. Wasn't that initially not supposed to be the magic blue pill of uh, of extending sexual vitality? It was actually... Uh, specifically for circulation, I think with diabetic uh, myopathy or, some, or neuropathy or something like that. Yeah, like many medications,
2: uh, they're often discovered by accident, and so so how they just found that it start increasing circulation so well for men that that's how they they actually market it for that. But yeah,
1: you're right. <laughs> anyway, go on. I'm sorry, I just you mentioned that it just it, it's typical of the pharmaceutical industry. They they make something it doesn't do what they intended it to. But it does something else. They just stick a different label on it and and, and rock on.
2: Right. It was the same thing with NutraSweet. When NutraSweet or Spartan, it it was created by accident. I think they were testing an ulcer medication, and one of the scientists happened to taste it. And it was so, you know, hundreds of times sweeter than sugar. So that's, you know, throughout those pharmaceutical companies, they're always, you know, they're basically discovering things by accident all the time. But but anyways, you know the point is is that Viagra works that way via this this system called nitric oxide, which causes the blood flow to increase. But exercise not only does it does it do that, but it also helps create this this enzyme nitric oxide synthase, which again is again a vasodilator. So that's the first thing we have to have is good blood flow throughout the body, because a lot of seniors get this. Uh, cerebral or vascular insufficiency. It's not enough blood flow to the brain. And part of the reason is they, their heart is a poor pump. And also they have atherosclerosis. So they have an occlusion or closing up of an artery already. And there's other reasons too. They're dehydrated and things like that. But, so if we could just get that heart strong and the blood vessels open, that's going to be number one. Number two, we want to make sure that your, your, your blood is full of water because when it's healthy it's about 92% water so most people are suffering from dehydration already and most people are storing foods that are dehydrating so if you if you if you the only two foods that are really high in water are fruits and vegetables they're water rich naturally because if you put some fruit in a juicer you'll get a glass of juice but if you put six bagels you don't get bagel juice. <laughs> yeah. So, so the more of these processed foods that you eat, the more they suck water out of your system. So we want to make sure that we drink enough water, pure water, and we also want to make sure we eat enough water-rich fruits and vegetables because when the blood becomes thick, this uh, hypovolemia, instead of looking like red wine, it looks like molasses. And so the oxygen and nutrients move very slowly through the system. So we keep the heart strong. We we get good hydration in the system. That's very important. And then the other thing is there's lots of nutrients that we need to make sure that we're working with you know throughout the day. And you know what I did a long time ago, over 20 years ago, is basically I was using nutraceuticals. I was using nutrients for seniors. So one I think one of the most important things that we can do is keep uh, your diet high in antioxidants because if you can imagine when you cut an apple in half, that apple starts to brown. And most of the antioxidants in apples are actually in the peel. But if we cut an apple in half and we squeeze lemon juice on there, that preserves it from oxidizing or aging. And remember, our brain is just a big apple. So if your diet is high in antioxidants and blueberries and kale and greens and other different um, fruits, those protect the brain from prematurely aging. And blueberries actually enhance neuronal communication and they repair damage that's occurred in the brain. So berries are one of the most important things that we can get into our diet also.
1: Now, you mentioned some things there. Uh, One, is you're looking at, especially elderly people, I I find from the research I've done that many are highly deficient in B12 to the point of having pernicious anemia. And that also leads to a lot of problems because you end up with elevated levels of the stuff called homocysteine, which damages the arterial walls. Do you feel that that is related to the, the, this diet that's high in, you know, refined carbohydrates and, and, and foods like you were talking about?
2: Well, you're bringing up an excellent point. And B12 deficiency is, you know, widespread, and there's many reasons for it. But, for instance, seniors get atrophic gastritis, and they have intestinal problems. And they also don't secrete something called the intrinsic factor very readily. And the intrinsic factor is what allows you to absorb B12. And when you have all these people taking proton pump inhibitors, and metformin, and these medications, they decrease B12. And you're bringing up an excellent point because B12 deficiency actually mimics dementia. So if you present symptoms of B12 deficiency to your physician, he or she, if she doesn't, they don't test your B12 level or your homocysteine level, they may say, Mrs. Jones, you have the beginning stages of Alzheimer's, I'm going to write you a script for cell. But if they do look at your levels, they'll say, oh, you're just low in B12 and they give you an injection or they give you a sublingual and boom, you pop back to normal. So B12 is critical, but in terms of homocysteine, you're right. It's kind of when that homocysteine starts going up, that's what can cause Alzheimer's and heart disease. And two of the things that keep it in check are B12 and folate. And folate is just green leafy vegetables. You know, folate comes from the word foliage. So, so that, you yeah, know, you're making a good point. And most of these seniors that I've worked with, when you give them a B12 supplement, they pop back to normal. It's, it's unbelievable. Wow. It looks like it's like giving water to a, a plant that's wilting and it, it's almost like a miracle that happens. Their cognitive function comes back, and it's it's pretty amazing.
1: The other thing I think that's doing a lot of damage to people long-term is the high amounts of sugar in the diet. You can call it carbohydrate. You can call it sugar. I don't care what it is, but stuff that really elevates the blood sugar level and puts people into a state of glycation, and, and then this results in something called an AGE, or advanced glycation end product, and when I learned about those, it's probably one of the biggest things that changed my health because – it's one thing to tell somebody you're damaging your health. It's another thing when you tell somebody, well, you, you're doing damage that's irreversible. And my understanding is these AGEs form plaques in the body that are permanent. How, do, you, do you agree with that? And if so, how much of that do you think is part of the problem with uh, chronic health problems, inflammation, and problems that elderly people experience cognitively?
2: Well, there's no doubt the AGEs can be very damaging when you're using sugar in a high amount and you're not utilizing a carbohydrate. If you're just eating sugar all day and you're not utilizing it, that's going to be a problem. Now, we're consuming on average about 150 pounds of sugar per person per year in the United States. The average can of soda pop can have 10 teaspoons of sugar in it. And when I work with kids and I say, what did you have for breakfast? They say, no, I didn't eat anything. And I say, okay, well, you get to school, what do you have? They'll say a can of Coke and two Snickers bars. So these kids are just—they're just riding on this tile all day long. <laughs> or,
1: or, or chocolate milk that has more sugar than the frickin' soda.
2: Sure. Well, exactly. But here's the real problem: every time that you consume sugar, in order to turn that sugar, that carbohydrate, into energy, you use up B vitamins. And again, these B vitamins oh. regulate normal cognitive functioning. They regulate your metabolism. They regulate your nervous system. So the more sugar you eat, the more B vitamins you gobble up. And you gobble up two important minerals. One is chromium, which is a trace mineral found in the soil. And probably eight out of ten Americans are deficient in it because they don't eat enough food from that grows from the ground. And chromium regulates your blood sugar. It's a cofactor that works with insulin. And the same thing with magnesium. Magnesium is another one that we lose. And magnesium is required for over 350 different enzyme functions in the body. So it's, it's critical. And it also helps with ATP, which is energy production. So you're making an excellent point. The high sugar diet is definitely bad. But remember one thing that your brain does predominantly use carbohydrate as a fuel. And so if people are having some berries and some fruits and some vegetables throughout the day, or they're having, now I'm not saying that you might, you might not agree with this, but some people are having a complex carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. So, if you had something that was a complex carbohydrate that releases the carbohydrate slowly throughout the body, it's pretty much a, it, the analogy would be if you put a log on a fire, it's going to burn slowly throughout the day. That would be a whole. That would be something that's a complex carbohydrate. But if you put a piece of paper on a fire, poof, the energy's gone. That's a cookie or a candy or
1: a donut. And it produces an awful lot of ash, and in, in the body, that's waste. It,
2: Exactly. But remember, too, when you're having a complex carbohydrate or a fruit or a vegetable, there's B vitamins in those foods, so it's different than consuming refined sugar. Because refined sugar, if you want to eat sugar cane, that's fine, but it'll take you hours to get through a little one-inch one piece of it because it's so loaded with fiber and it's loaded with minerals, and it's something you'd have to chew on all day. But when you start refining that sugar from sugar cane or beets, or even worse would be you know, GMO corn, when you get corn syrup, that's even worse. Yeah. So I think you're bringing up a good point, though, about, about the sugar in America today. It's it's pretty, pretty bad.
1: Yeah, um, but you're, when we're talking about this mental capability uh, thing, and we've talked mostly about it from the physical standpoint, things to include, things to avoid. But I know you're a very holistic person, and generally speaking, things have multitudes of areas that they need care on. So your car needs care on the engine, but it also needs a wax job not just to look pretty, but so that it protects the surface. So when it comes to cognitive function, we should probably be not just protecting our bodies biologically, but ex- exercising our mind. Um, so what are some of the things we can do today to assist with, uh, with you know, when we have challenging times in a, in a grid down, or as we get older to help try to ward off or at least push out symptoms of things like dementia and Alzheimer's, because I guess if that might – and here's kind of where I'm going with this. So I think part of the reason that people have such mental decline in their 50s today is by the time a person is in their mid-30s, they're usually really, really good at their job. And unless they have some kind of really challenging job, they can kind of go through their days, blah, 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 whatever, and they can do their job completely tuned out. And the mind is just not being exercised. And they get home, they're, they're tired physically, and they just feel tired mentally, and they, they turn on a TV, and they watch some stupid crap, and the mind starts to get weak. Just like your body gets weak, your mind can get weak. So what are some things people can do to engage that uh, creative process?
2: Well, sure, that's a good point, Jack, I and mean, that's very important. And the time in the in your life when your brain is growing the most, you know, you have these neurons – And they have these little branch chain projections called dendrites. And they're like little, almost like little Christmas trees that grow out of the neuron. And they allow these cells, these neurons to communicate. And every time you learn something new, you smell something new, or you do something new, it's kind of like they grow. And the time in your life they grow the most is when you're a child. And that's because as a child, everything's brand new. But when you start getting into your 30s and 40s, you live a very, you know, rote life, everything's the same. You go to work the same way, you talk to the same people, you watch the same TV shows. So the stimulation isn't there anymore. And so aside from keeping a healthy diet and a healthy lifestyle, you have to make sure that you're stimulating your brain in unique and unusual ways. And, you know, in my book, The Pillars of Health, I have a lot of different activities in there to stimulate your brain. But one of the easiest things that you can do every day is start using your non-dominant hand. So with my seniors, I would have them actually every day when I do a class, I'd have them write their name ten times every day with their non-dominant hand. And at first, they could literally they could barely grab the pencil or pen. It was very hard for them. But after you know a couple weeks and a month or two, they get very well used to it. And after a while, you can write your your name pretty much with your left and right the same. But it's very stimulating to your brain. Just start picking things up with your opposite hand. You know, click the remote control with your opposite hand. Just don't do something dangerous, you know, like, um, you know, carrying hot liquids or something like that. But if you start using your opposite limb, it could be your foot, pew a little bit more. That's very stimulating to your brain. If you watch TV, always try to watch some different shows or documentaries, things that make you think. And when you're watching, when the commercial comes on, hit the mute and get a piece of paper and pen. And um, write down everything that you remember that just occurred in that scene. So this way you start training your short-term memory. And also before you go to bed at night, just kind of bullet point your day. What did I do at 7 o'clock? What did I do at 8, 9, 10? And just go through the day. And that starts training your short-term memory. Now crossword puzzles, word searches, all those are fine. But if you really love crossword puzzles, then you should do something different. So you could throw them in once in a while, but you want to do what you're not good at. And see, that's the problem with our society today is that we become very complacent and we just, in a sense, get lazy. It's kind of like fitness. We get lazy and we don't want to do anything that's that's challenging to us. So failure is one of the best things that can happen. So when I'm teaching a fitness class or a brain-building class and somebody can't do it, I said, wow, your brain's growing far faster than somebody in here looks easy for. So we just have to get used to challenging our brain all the time in as many ways as we can.
1: I mean, I, I think what you're you're saying in many ways is that as a society we just choose at some point to stop learning. And because I, it becomes challenging. I, yeah, and it's like, why would I challenge myself? I'm all I've already got what I need. I'm, I'm already you know I'm going to be able to pay the, the, the bills this month. Isn't that what society judges me on? I'm going to get a raise next month because it's in my union contract. Uh, so I'm a good provider, and and then we just get to a point where if it's hard, we don't want to do it. Whereas as a kid, you're like you you kind of crave that, and as long as nobody beats it out of you, all you're trying to do at that point is figure out what else can I do, um, how can I, you know, even I mean, video games get a bad rap, but I mean, the, the kid with the video game is saying, how do I get to the next level? How do I get past this? Uh, and, and and I'm not saying you should spend your time playing video games, but I think there is something to that concept of adaptability and and trying to go to uh, another place or, or learn something new that we just lose. And if we can do anything where we're learning something new every day, I have to believe that has some positive effect.
2: Well, absolutely, and listen, yeah, ex- exactly. And listening to talk radio, listening to podcasts like that, you have where you're educating yourself, and you have to engage in lively conversation. That's very important. The one thing that I've seen in twenty something years of working with seniors is that it has to be fun for them in other words it can't be too challenging it's kind of like exercise it has to be just enough to stimulate them but not too much that it frustrates them all the time and especially if you're working with somebody who already has the beginning stages of dementia or they're losing their brain functioning you can't ask them to do very complicated things because they'll get frustrated so you have to you have to walk this fine line between fun and challenging that's very important
1: you mentioned using your off hand like so for me that would be doing stuff with my left hand and as you're talking there, it just occurred to me uh, something I've always known, but I never really think about. And that is that, you know, we have that two sides of the brain thing going on logical and emotional. And we also seem to have a, a thing where, like, you know, a person has a stroke that affects the left side of their brain and affects the ability of the right side of the body to move. Do you think there's anything to, you know, basically just making one hemisphere of the brain that's lazy work? Uh, not just having to think that that might be beneficial there? Oh, sure.
2: Well, I mean, just you, the idea is to stimulate every portion of your brain that you can, but the main thing is to stimulate the portion that is not being used. Okay. So most people don't use their opposite hand or their opposite limb at all. And if you're, again, if you're really good at numbers and, and you're a client of mine, I'm not going to give you any number exercises at all. I'm going to always be challenging you with things that you don't do. See, if a child has a stroke, the brain will actually rewire and it'll never affect, they won't really have an aphasia where they lose the ability to speak or, you know, some speaking issues. But the older you get, the less the ability is there because the brain is not as plastic as it was when you were young. And so the secret is to keep your brain brain as plastic and alive as you can. And again, it's just more and more stimulation. You know, it's kind of like when I work with clients, when when I ask them what their workout regimen is, I say, well, great, well, we're never going to be doing that. We're going to do the opposite (laughs) of what you normally do. (laughs) <laughs> so, yeah, when I work with, you know, when you work with military people or law enforcement, they have a very certain regimen. I can tell right away when somebody gives me their workout regimen, you know, if they're in the military or police or whatever. And so I just give them something they're totally not used to. And it just, it, it drives them crazy because they really, they feel like a kid again. They have to relearn everything. And that's really good for their brain and their body.
1: Yeah, well, definitely. I mean,. Yeah, you're, you're forced, to, I guess it doesn't matter what you're forced to learn or relearn. It's that you're forced to learn or relearn so that the mind is having to form n- new neurons. It's still in a growth phase. I mean, it's, I consult with people on business. I'll say, well, what's your growth plan? And if they say, well, we're happy. We just want to maintain what we have. I'm like, well, then your business will be in decline next year. If there's, and it doesn't mean that you have to be trying to become the next, you know, Walmart. But it, there's just a, a fact, and I believe patterns repeat throughout all of nature and all of all of psychology. That if you are in a situation where you're not in any kind of a development, then you, you you've gone past climax and you're in decline. And right. the only way to continue to maintain is to continue to grow a little bit.
2: And then that means also to people being open enough to explore different. Types of information on your diet and on your fitness, because generally the older you get, the tighter those blinders become. We call it set in our ways, right? Yeah, we get set in our ways. And actually, one of the hallmark signs of premature aging is the inability to change. And I've seen that for 20-something years with seniors, that young people are willing to try things in a different way, but older people will often say, you know, I've been doing this this way for 40 years. I'm not going to change now. I've been eating this food, you know, 40 years, and I'm not going to change now. And that's just not a good sign, um, you know, cognitively. It's just it's not healthy that you don't have the ability to adapt and change.
1: Yeah, my my father-in-law, after uh, his wife passed away, I uh, ended up with a girlfriend, uh, and and she's a really wonderful lady in her, in her 70s. But I remember w- when uh, one day she was over at her house, and my son's phone rang, and he answered it and made, you know, one of the ringtones. And uh, she's like, oh, I didn't know phones could sound like that. And he said, well, most phones you can change the ringtone, and there's a lot of them in there. You can just pick the one you like best. And he's like, if you give me your phone, I'll change it for you. And she was like, oh, no, you better not. Like like something horrible would happen. And right. If she if like a ring, you like would never be able to go back to where it was or whatever. And I think that type of attitude is something that like I've tried to just pre-wire into myself when I see myself behave that way at all, other than I'm not gonna step in front of a Mac truck, then to try to catch that and then ask yourself, why the hell are you doing this? Because when you're when you're forty and you see somebody seventy five do it. You're like, oh, what the hell is that? But but they were 42 once, right? Right. So when I read your stuff, um, you talk constantly about functional fitness. Could you talk about what you, what you mean by, because I've had different people with different definitions of that term, what you mean by functional fitness and what advantages uh, it presents to people who are trying to uh, maintain their, their best health possible?
2: Sure, well, first of all, I'm not a big fan of health clubs and gyms um, because first of all, one of the challenges is when you go in there, it's all machines. And your body just doesn't move on un- you know, machines cause you to get used to certain planes of movement or angles of motion, and it can also cause repetitive injuries. and they basically shut your nervous system off because there's no challenge. It'd be much more challenging if I threw you a medicine ball and you have to visually track that ball, and then within a millisecond, you have to adjust your body posture so you don't get hit in the face, and then all of a sudden your core is being stimulated, your legs are being stimulated, your arms are being stimulated. That's a lot different than walking on a treadmill where you're only moving in one direction or you're lifting weights off a bench press where it's just one angle you're going at. So what I try to do is functional fitness. First of all, I need to find out what my client does. So what I would do with you, Jack, is different than I would do with somebody who's 90 years old, and I would do different than if I'm working with a 20-year-old kid. But what I try to do is I try to engage as many muscles as I can in the movements, and I try to continually stimulate their nervous system. Because you see, most of the day you're sitting anyhow, and your nervous system is, is, is basically shut off. And so you need to do everything you can to stimulate your nervous system, not put it to sleep. And so the problem is when you go to a gym for 30 minutes, Number one, it's basically all machines, and it's the same program all the time. No one is really threatening you. When a ball comes flying at your face, that's kind of a threat, so your body responds very quickly, and that's what you want. You want to have your body to respond, and you want to be stimulating your coordination and your agility and things like that. And the other challenge is, is when you go to a gym for 30 minutes a day, as soon as you're done, you think you're done moving, and you see 30 minutes of exercise at a gym doesn't counter 23 and a half hours of sitting on your butt all day long. It doesn't work that way. If you look at primitive people or people even a couple hundred years ago, they're working from the minute they get up in the morning to the minute they go to bed. So they're continually moving all day long. And that's very important that you want to be able to do primal motion, squatting, reaching, pushing, pulling, rotating. You don't want to be on a machine all day long. I mean, that's why treadmills... they they really are like dead mills because you're just going in one direction all the time. And when you fall in life, you often fall laterally or backwards. And if you haven't trained your nervous system to move in those directions, when an emergency arises and you do fall, you won't be used to moving in that direction and you'll hit the ground.
1: Absolutely. Um, You were talking there about the the dangers of of sitting. Um, Sure. You tell us more about that? You discussed that quite a bit in your book, The Pillars of Health, and, and how people can change that habit. Because I, I think that you know, at one time in America, the primary blue-collar job, if you want to call it, that was a factory job, and it may not have been the greatest job in the world from an engage your mind standpoint. But people were up, they were on their feet, they were moving around, they were loading boxes on a truck or or, or something like that. And I would say that. What you call blue-collar today, we still think of the warehouse worker and what have you. That's still there, but nowhere near where it was in the 60s. There's nowhere near that many jobs. The blue-collar job is a, with the blue-collar income is a telemarketing job, a customer service job, a computer job. And people are basically on their asses all day long. So, so how does that affect people negatively, and what can they do about it?
2: Well, I mean, think about it. After you, you've been sleeping for seven or eight hours, there's no motion there. So your cardiovascular system has been asleep, right? It's not pumping very hard. Your respiratory system is shut down. Everything has been in in a dormant state. Well, then you get up and you sit in a chair, and now you're basically just repeating a dormant state. You're kind of like an astronaut with, you know, microgravity. There's no stimulation. And then you sit and you have breakfast, you read the paper, watch some TV, and then all of a sudden you get in your car and you're still sitting. And then you're driving this box to your work, and then what do you do at work? Most people are sitting again. And then they repeat this whole process, going home, they're sitting, then they come home, you know, they're driving to get home, and then they get home and they're eating or watching TV and they're still sitting. So those, that type of motion, that sitting is kind of like the, the new smoking. It's more disastrous than, than most any common habitual, you know, habit that we have. I mean, it lowers your metabolic activity. Um, you're you're in a single fixed position all the time, so you're not moving, you're not changing. Your circulation is impeded. Your your nervous system is definitely shut off. And your furniture is basically sculpting you into complacency. Just because somebody designed a chair doesn't mean we need to sit in it, especially at that height. I mean, why aren't people sitting on a Swiss ball or standing, you know, at a a desk or when they're talking on the phone, standing and moving around? You know, you you just get low, low back stiffness sitting all the time. Your gluteal muscles get shut off. They're basically just being stretched, but they're getting shut off. Your hamstring tightens your hip flexors tighten, and that's one of the worst things because those, as those hip flexors by your pelvis tighten, that starts throwing your back off, and when you see a senior walking like with a little shuffle, that's one of the reasons, too. Their hip flexors are very tight, mm. and so we really need to start activating our our, you know, our posterior chain, so we need to be doing things like squatting down. We need to be standing a little bit more, getting on, on the balls of our toes and doing calf, calf raises, but sitting is the worst thing for you. I mean, I can't think of many things that are worse, and in my book, I put a lot of information on sitting and how, when you are sitting at a chair, what to do, how to counter some of that motion with, um, you know, different stretches.
1: Could you give maybe some, just, I know people really should get your book to learn more about this, but just some quick examples of some things that people could start doing right away?
2: Well, sure. First of all, I would make sure if you're at a, a regular corporate office that what I have my clients do that have to sit is I basically have them get in and out of that chair 10 times every half hour. So they squat, they basically get out of the chair and they reach their hands to the sky and then they come back down. They do that 10 times. Then I like them to do a little bit of rotation because we're not rotating enough in life anymore. So I have them rotate. And then open up your arms as wide as you can as if you're going to give somebody a hug. Because remember that most of your lymph, fas- your lymph nodes are in your grasp and your groin region. And those lymph nodes are your immune system. And you couldn't stick a pin in the human body without touching lymph fluid. We have twice the lymph fluid as we do blood. But one of the things is that the only thing that really moves lymph fluid, since the heart doesn't pump, isn't in that circuit, you know, the heart pumps blood, the only thing that moves that lymphatic fluid throughout the body is either deep diaphragmatic breathing, massage, or movement. So every time you're stretching, you're pushing, you're pulling, you're moving that lymph fluid. And so the compromised areas are your groin and your chest area. Because think about that posture, you're sitting at a desk. Your lymphatic system is basically shut off. So anything that you can do to open your arms wide uh, like a hug and anything you can do to kind of lift your leg, you know, your knee up in the air to stimulate, just kind of like you're marching in place, that helps stimulate that lymph fluid. And remember that this lymphatic system is your police department, it's your fire department, it's your paramedics. It's what keeps you healthy so if you get a cut, you don't die. So anything that you can do to keep the immune system healthy, you need to do.
1: I completely agree with that. Um, you also mentioned that one of the, the things that's important to health that you almost never hear. I, I, I mean, outside of people with maybe a, a Buddhist view, I, I really don't ever hear people put health in this together uh, is compassion. And if you don't have compassion and well-being, it can be detrimental to your health. Uh, what brings you to that? Uh, I wouldn't say conclusion because it almost sounds like I'm questioning the validity of it. But what brought you to that reality, I guess is a better way to put it?
2: Well, everything that I do is based on compassion and love, every, every single thing. I mean, if I could have made the whole book on compassion and love, I would. But people you know, needed to hear other information. But the way to look at it is that you know, our world is filled with so much anger and hatred and jealousy and, and rage. It's omnipresent. From the minute you wake up in the morning to the minute you go to bed, you've been subjected to hundreds of thousands of negative thoughts. And these negative thoughts have a repercussion because every time that you, say, for instance, you're watching a scary movie, right? You're just looking at a celluloid screen, but how come your heart is racing? How come your fists are starting to tighten up? Because your brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's not on a screen. So what's making your heart race? You haven't been running but you're producing hormones in the body that are dangerous hormones to be subjecting yourself through throughout the day, all day long, like adrenaline and cortisol. And they're very destructive hormones. So every time that we have anger and hatred and jealousy and rage, we're, we're hurting our body physically and emotionally. And the antidote to that poison is compassion. It's love. It's caring. It's kindness. It's extending yourself to somebody and helping one another. You know, when times get bad, you're going to want to have a good community around you. Just like in the old days when a barn burned down, all the neighbors got together and helped build that barn because they were a tight-knit community and they helped one another and they were there for one another as a big extended family. And if you don't have that viewpoint now and disaster happens, what's going to happen to you is you'll perish. And so I think the most important thing that we can work on is, first of all, compassion for ourselves, be loving and kind to ourselves. And that's why I encourage people to take care of their vessel, their vehicle. Because, you know, if, if anything happens to your vehicle, you're not going to be able to do what you want to do in life. So be, care, be caring and kind to yourself with your food choices. Watch your words. You know, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can tear your heart apart. I've worked with abused women for 30 years, and I've seen more men hurt their wives or their girlfriends with their words than they ever did with their fists. And it scars people for life. I mean, I've worked enough, too, with young kids to know that a lot of these kids, when they've had something negative said to them from their parents or their coach or a teacher, it's continually playing in their brain. And so they always have this negative viewpoint and low self-esteem. And so what I tell people is that what I like them to do is what I did as a kid, actually, is before I went to bed, I would I would kind of do bullet points in, in my head. And I think, what good did I do in the world today? And I would list it and I'd list anything that I, I did good. I helped a senior citizen shovel her walk and put some salt on it and then said, have a beautiful day. I opened the door or, uh, you know, I got too much change and I, ret- I went back to the store and said, hey, I just wanted to let you know. It's something that you're doing good and you're acknowledging it. And then I asked myself the most important question is, well, what good can I do tomorrow? So I was always programming my brain to acknowledge the good that I did and plan on doing more good all the time. So I just think that's one of the most important things. In you know, 20-something years in geriatrics, none of these seniors on their deathbed ever said, I wish I was more mean. I wish I was more angry. I wish I would have had more money. They all say the same thing. I wish, that I, I wish I would have wrote that letter to my brother and said, I'm sorry. I wish I would have called my daughter and said, I want to apologize for my behavior. And the time to change your life is not on your deathbed. The time to change your life is now and to do good in the world now. And, and that's basically the most important message that I have in the entire book is about doing good in the world.
1: I think there's a huge component there to health and health of our society. Um, I, I know that when I worked with people in sales training, the, the first thing I, I usually ended up having to teach them was how to have a positive image of themselves. And I would pe- I have people do this exercise it just seems stupid. And I'd ha- have them stand up and say, "My name is fill in the blank," and I don't give a shit what anybody thinks of me. And most people could do it. And then you say, "Now you have to do it loud, like you mean it." And you'd watch people stumble over being able to say that. And I'm not saying you shouldn't care at all, but I'm saying if you're if you're basing your image of yourself on what other people think of you without them even really knowing who you are because they've judged you because of the way you walk or look or whatever the 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 accent of your voice then your image of yourself can't be very high so that doesn't mean i don't care if anybody you know thinks i'm bad cuz i punched an old lady in the face so i'm not going to do that but what I, what i do mean by that is i know the value of my own life and when someone can't make that statement they they they've got a very toxic uh mental uh, thing going on that I, I really can't quantify into words, but I think it's very detrimental to their spirit and to their physical health as well. And I don't think that they're as successful in anything as they could be.
2: Well, I agree. In, in, the, in the, the, the group that I worry about the most is the children today, because you know they are they're playing violent video games all day long. They're listening to gangster rap, which is basically pornography. It's video pornography. They're watching pornography in sixth grade. And they're committing major acts of violence as children. And what's happening is their brains are continually being subjected to negativity all day long. From the minute, again, they wake up, to the minute they go to bed, far more than the average adult. And what you have to remember is these children are going to be the future. <coughs> these are going to be the doctors or the presidents or the generals. And it's, it's, it's really kind of scary. And I was, I was in Washington, D.C., and I was at the Capitol, and I was talking to about 170 congressional people there, and I said, look, if you take all this negativity and you couple, you couple that negativity with a nutrient-deficient diet and you're surprised that children are committing acts of violence, I mean, it's a no-brainer. It's impossible for it not to happen. I mean, their brains need neurotransmitters. They need healthy foods that perform these neurotransmitters. They need to get off excitotoxins and they need to stop, stop stimulating their brain all the time. And every time they're on their cell phone or they're playing a video game, it leaves less time for introspection. It leaves less time for reading. It leaves less time for very important things. But
1: children are being raised
2: in this environment today, and they don't know any better. It's really not their fault.
1: Yeah, don't you think it's kind of a two-edged sword? Because on one hand, you talk about all the violence and violent acts and, and negativity that this generation has kind of being programmed into it, and it does. But when you say that, you would think we'd have, like, these tough – mean, strong kids. And what we actually have are weak, non resilient children who can't handle any adversity. So the same kid that'll go out and, and and actually punch the old lady in the face, if he's if he's pushed just a little bit off of what he expects, shuts down and can't function. I call them the teacup generation. And and I oh, actually sure. think I, I don't even think we're the teacup generation. I think my generation, your generation, had a lot of teacups in it and those teacups have now raised what I call the China plate generation; these kids can't handle being told no. They they they, they play a sport; they don't even keep score. Um, they, everybody gets a trophy. All these things that are kind of cliche, but you know they were cliche in the in the early eighties and into the nineties. And now the cliche has become a reality. I mean, this is you know somebody recently did a, a spoof up in Canada. Uh, radio station on a on their website did a thing where they were talking about the kids playing soccer with no ball and if they thought they got a goal they got a goal and it was a well done spoof to where you is it, the way things are going you actually had to kind of look at it and go is this a spoof or is is this for real and and it seems like we've done two things to this generation one we've we've pumped them up with this this kind of negative violence and at the same time we've we've removed their ability to be resilient and function and adapt, and actually achieve anything.
2: Well, I agree the military has had to lower their standards for, yeah. for young men and women to get into the military because they were so unfit. And one of the things that fitness does is, is encourage, it encourages resiliency. It encourages strength. I mean, I created boot camps for women almost 10 years ago, and the reason I did it is for young girls that were in high school and college. I wanted to help them become more resilient. And so we're missing that element also in our life today. We're missing that resiliency. And, you know, kids want to basically take a time out when, when times get tough. They want to flash a yellow card and take time out. You know, the real world doesn't work that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, how can people learn more about you and, uh, and, and what you're doing?
2: Sure. My website is, is my name, John Pierre. It's J-O-H-N-P-I-E-R-R-E dot com.
1: And uh, I was just on your site, and uh, I guess you were recently on the Ellen DeGeneres show. So, it's well, not- I
2: had to, yeah, I had trained uh, Ellen, and I also had trained her staff. You know, I, had, I had trained a lot of celebrities and, and rock stars and things like that. So, on on my site is me training Ellen and her staff, actually doing a boot camp, actually. So it's a lot of unique and unusual exercises, again designed to stimulate the nervous system, and et cetera.
1: Oh, so it was a boot camp. So now I'm looking at the video a little closer, and the, all the chairs behind Ellen are empty. Um, yeah, it
2: was a boot camp for the uh, for, for the for staff,
1: Just basically you. Yeah, that's awesome. But I have to ask a question, totally non-TSP related. Um, uh, just because my wife loves Ellen, and if I don't ask you, I'll be in trouble. So it is kind of a survival question. Um, how what's what's Ellen like as a person? Because my wife just loves her.
2: Oh, yeah, she's so funny. I mean, just everything that comes out of her mouth is so funny. I mean, you're just laughing all the time, but she's just a great lady and she uh, does a lot for charities too, which is really nice. She tries to help make the world a better place.
1: So, so you were off, you know, off camera with her. Is she pretty much the same person? On and yeah, off camera? Yeah,
2: she's, yeah, I, you know, the funny thing is I don't um, watch TV.
1: So oh, okay. I know, <laughs>
2: I had, I didn't, um, you know, everyone would always talk about the show. And I, I was like, I don't really watch TV. So, but yeah, she was super nice. And, you know, most of the celebrities that I've, I've trained in, in rock stars, they, they're all just really nice people. You know, they have kind of a challenging life because, you know, when you're, you have to be on every time somebody's around, you know, that's, I think, the challenge of being a celebrity, you know.
1: Yeah. And everybody absolutely. kind of always wants something. How did you get into, like, consulting to people at that level? I mean, that's. Well, that's I mean, pretty, yeah, you're good known. at your, you do, right? Because those people can afford anybody. So, like, yeah,
2: I mean, that wasn't it wasn't really challenging because I was, you know, pretty much known in the fitness field, in the nutrition field, and then with my specialty in enhancing cognitive functioning. So, you know, once you start working with people and you start helping them, the word gets around pretty quick. Um, that you know what you do, you know you know what you're doing. So, but you know, the truth of the matter is, I treat everyone the same. Whether I'm working with somebody, uh, you know that. It doesn't matter what position they have in life. I treat them all the same with, you know, love and respect. And, you know, I'm there to help them. So I focus 100% in that hour or whatever I'm working with trying to help them. So when they're a celebrity, I'm, I'm literally focused 100% and trying to help their life be better. I'm not, I don't even think about them as a celebrity because since I don't really watch TV, a lot of times I really wouldn't know who the celebrities are. (laughs)
1: <laughs> that's great it probably gives you a better working relationship with them too because you're not like wow you're so and so he's like okay you're another client which is probably what a lot of those folks are also looking for is they don't want somebody that they're, they're asking for consulting to treat them differently they want you to do what you would do for anybody else
0: um, right
1: as, as we wrap up here um, your book the pillars of health uh, you gave me a copy in Denver amazing book tell people a little bit about it and uh, how they can get a copy
2: Sure. Well, the, there are four pillars in there. One is um, nutrition, so I'm encouraging people to, to add more plant matter to their diet because one of the challenges, we don't eat enough volume of plant matter, which is all the antioxidants. We don't eat enough diversity of plant matter. We always eat the same things, apples, oranges, bananas, you know, iceberg lettuce, and tomatoes. We need diversity, and we need better quality, so fresh and organic and non-GMO. So that's the nutrition section. And then the fitness section is on motion, living an active lifestyle, and I talk about how to add sneaky movement in throughout the day. So you want to be moving throughout the day, not just for a half hour. And then the section on enhancing cognitive function covers nutrition. It covers aromatherapy. It cover covers spices, which are the most powerful antioxidants, ounce per ounce of anything. They're very important for the brain. And then of course the most important chapter is the chapter on compassion and love. And I really think that is that's the most important chapter in the book. And if you can only read one chapter, that's it because, you know, in 20-something years of working in, with geriatrics, I'll tell you that it's a scary thing that when people are their last, you know, moments of life and they have regrets. So the idea is to be loving and compassionate now and make the transition to wherever you're going next a, a, a easy one.
1: Whenever I have an author on, I always ask, you know, is there someone that influenced your writing? And you're kind of a different type of author. But, I mean, out of your your world, uh, two of the people that I think have had the biggest impact on, on my Look at health and not just diet, but health in general, uh, you know, going way before my my discovery of people like Rob Wolf or uh, people like uh, uh, Dr. Andrew Weil and uh, uh, Deepak Chopra. Is there anybody like that influenced you from that world in any real positive way?
2: Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many different um, modalities that I teach, so there's a lot of them. But I think in the nutrition world, I think there's, you know, Dr. Michael Greger, who has a site called nutritionfacts.org, and he's he's a phenomenal doctor and scientist. And then also um, Dr. Neil Bernard, and he um, is from the he's the president of the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, and his site is pcrm.org, and then also Dr. Michael Clapper and I think his is just Dr. Michael dot, dot com. Those are three, I think, really uh, definitely influential people. And I think, I think I've, I've learned from all the different doctors and all the practitioners I've studied with. But I think someone like Mother Teresa and Gandhi, people who were selfless and, and did good in the world, I think those were very influential people to me also.
1: Very cool. Well, again, I'd like to thank you for... Uh being with us today, and again, your website is uh, johnpierre.com. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes. And, folks, I can definitely recommend picking up a copy of uh, John Pierre's book, The Pillars of Health. They make a great Christmas gift this time of year as well. And, uh, John, thanks for being with us today.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: All right, folks, and with that, this has been Jack Spearco today along with John Pierre, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
0: Let me show you a better way You don't have to be another face in the crowd